everyone, this is Dr. Reeves welcoming you back to week eight of our course, EDEM 6629 Children's Literature and Integrated Arts. Last week, you all read chapter books and created playlists for your main characters. You also worked on designing higher order thinking questions as part of a culminating learning experience following Reader's Theater. You've continued to demonstrate thoughtful, enthusiastic work as we've moved through the course content, and I've loved it all. In the final week of the course, I want to spend some time on the last aspect of the Teachers Creating Readers framework, which falls under the Create School-Wide Reading Cultures. The goal of this aspect of the framework is to take all of our acquired knowledge and the knowledge we will continue to acquire from the other aspects of the framework that fall under teachers as readers and create a classroom reading community and to share it with others by advocating for whole school reading cultures, working with staff, families, and other faculty members to support reading for pleasure and to promote and discuss reading with staff and students. Also, consider yourself as colleagues, even though you may not work in the same school building. Zoom, WhatsApp, and other platforms have eliminated the distances that have often been used as a barrier to ongoing self-directed professional learning and collaboration. Our Wooten chapter this week also lists many national organizations that are concerned with the same issues this course is. Also, keep in mind that most national conferences like NCTE, which is the National Council for Teachers of English, and ILA, International Literacy Association, have Georgia chapters like GCTE, which is the Georgia Council of Teachers of English, and Georgia Association on Literacy Advocates. I encourage all of you to look into national and local conferences to present and share your work, especially if you want to go on to advanced degrees, and to find communities of educators who, like you, are working tirelessly to bring transformative and promising reading practices to every classroom in the state. What I've learned from all of you this semester is that you are very busy people. You are learners, you are teachers, and you are devoted to your families. I've also discovered that if any of you are harboring fears about yourselves <clears throat> as reading artists, it was entirely unknown to me because not one of you wrote to me about not being able to complete any of the discussion board art activities and engagements. You stepped into the role of this, you stepped into the role that this course created for you, reading artists who teach and shared your gifts with us and celebrated each other in really moving and profound ways. As you leave this course and start thinking about the next school year, whether you have your own classroom or are working your way towards your own classroom, I hope that you too will keep space for yourself as a reading artist, but also invite others, colleagues and students, to step into their identities as reading artists too. The more you read, the more you will strengthen your content knowledge. Content knowledge is not elusive, but it is also something that has to be sought and nurtured. Just because we excelled in our own language arts courses as students doesn't mean we also acquired the tools to teach language arts. Tools have to be honed and developed, returned to again and again, explored and practiced in new contexts, and expanded, and I hope, you will all make space in your busy lives to continue reaching for more understanding, access, and expertise in those areas. My first teaching jobs in higher education were at technical colleges, and I taught in the English department because my undergraduate and master's degree were in English literature. 
I was sure I would be sitting around with students talking about the merits, mysteries, and magnificence of Spencer, Shakespeare, Melville, Ellison, and Hurston. But I quickly realized that those courses were reserved for more tenured faculty, and I was assigned remedial English courses in English 101 and 102 courses. That experience was disheartening initially, but it actually ended up having a transformative impact on my content knowledge development and understanding of the teaching of writing. In all of my college courses on great American and canonical authors, I never took a course in grammar, and I realized right away that my students in the courses I was teaching had wonderful and moving ideas, but didn't have the grammatical, mechanical, and organizational tools they needed to get their ideas into the form of college papers. Realizing I didn't have the tools yet myself, I started studying grammar, mechanics, and organization. Interestingly, canonical texts are full of grammatical errors, and many of them are intentional. Charles Dickens, for example, is widely known for writing single sentences that go on for a page or more, but in an English 101 course, that long sentence would be considered a run-on sentence or a long sentence error. I once was unable to know or recognize comma splice errors, run-on sentences, tricky subject-verb agreement errors, dangling modifiers, confusion between words that sound the same but are spelled differently, adjectives used in the place of adverbs and vice versa, and I could not support my students' needs or their growth. And so my preparation for the classroom took me into grammar books instead of poetry and prose. And in an effort to help my students meet their academic goals, my writing, thinking, and organization also improved because once I knew to look for these issues that were preventing my students from advancing out of pre-college courses, I started looking for those issues in my own writing, and there were plenty to see. I share this with you so you can know not what I, so you can know what I did not know then, that even after you complete your master's degree or while you're continuing to work on it, your work as a learner and a reading artist will not and should not conclude as long as you are or plan to be in an elementary education classroom. And one of the most important reasons for this is that despite whatever has happened in Georgia's reading programs over the last decade or more, for example, many, many young people are still not getting the skills they need to read in elementary school, which year by year diminishes their life chances. And I know I've brought this up a number of times over the course of this class, but it's just that important. And the more you hone your skills to know how to recognize what students need, the students who are in your classrooms now, today, and tomorrow, like I discovered in those English courses that my students needed guidance, scaffolding, and explicit teaching in grammar, mechanics, and organization, the more confidence you will the more confident you will become in adjusting your instruction to support students in your own classroom. When we intentionally and determinedly work to meet the needs of our students, we can see more and more young people gain access to reading independence. Practices that I hope you will take with you and share with others in your learning communities and beyond as you move forward in your education and your career were infused throughout this class. I'll summarize them though in this way. One, read and listen to everything. For those of you who are in the car a lot, get your library app going so you can listen to audiobooks, musical stories like Hamilton, or podcasts like Mars Patel. Two, 
ensure you are an instructional leader in the classroom. Where is the content knowledge in your lesson? How did the beginning, middle, and end of your lesson fit together? Where are you modeling new skills or extended skills for your learners? How are you evaluating whether that skill has been acquired? What learning engagements are students doing? Who is talking for the majority of the lesson? Are you using your instructional time well? Are students engaged and curious and hopeful and joyful or confused and checked out? Many of you will teach in schools that will not require detailed lesson plans like you complete for Piedmont, and to some that's a huge relief, but to others it creates problems because without the detailed lesson components to complete and connect, without the prompting to connect content to the engagements, sometimes educators with the best of intentions go into classrooms and don't deliver any explicit content instruction in an entire school year, and that's very concerning. Three, teach vocabulary explicitly. If you find yourself writing in your lesson plans, we'll go over vocabulary, or giving students 20 lists of words and definitions to memorize, ask yourself, what would Anita Archer do? And return to the joy and exploration of teaching explicit vocabulary, just like we did with our dear and beloved Zoe and Sassafras module. Four, Teach phonemic awareness and use phonics approaches systematically and explicitly. Many of you will likely undergo or have under, undergone letters training, Haggerty training, or Orton-Gillingham training if you haven't already. Those programs are aimed at developing educators' abilities to teach systematically and explicitly. Just know that those programs are coming to Georgia but also that they have to be combined with joyful and beautiful stories about 21st century heroes and heroines. Decoding must absolutely be taught, but overemphasis on decoding runs the risk of eliminating student and teacher joy for reading and learning, and we want all of our students to love to read. Make, number five, make room for art. I'll say that again make room for art. In some schools, responding to students' needs in these ways can be lonely because the school culture does not necessarily advocate for the kind of work that's required to do that, and it doesn't pose the question of what do students need and how can we get it to them. There is significant research that says teachers are overworked, stressed out, burned out, and underpaid. We have also seen in recent years groups of community members wanting to have greater say and influence on what teachers teach and how they teach, right down to the books they choose to have in their classroom or the books available in the media center. These are contentious times. But again, seeing your incredible work this semester, the fact that you all chose to pursue certification during the summer, um, and brought your full creativity and experience to bear on your learning here gives me the tremendous hope that the profession is in very good hands. I want to thank you all for bringing your full selves into our course, for making this learning experience absolutely original and memorable, and for treating each other as havers and holders of important and valuable contributions to the field. 
I'll leave you with this wonderful poem, The Persona of a Teacher, by fellow science teacher Joe Cossett. As a scientist and a teacher, I like to make things clear. If a system receives inputs, certain outputs should appear. When I put a plant in sunlight and give it water, it should grow. When I drop a ball and let it fall, I know which way it should go. On the whole, we find connections relating everything. In isolation, we can see outcomes our actions bring. We don't need to know the details of what makes our world respond. As long as it repeats, we know right where it belongs. Teaching, I'm afraid, is much messier than science. It is built on hopes and fears, independence and reliance. The way things are presented and the way that they're received, the things that bring us struggles and the things that we've achieved. Science would predict that if a lesson finds success, the instruction should repeat and produce the same process. But the variables have changed with different students, different classes. That A plus bit of teaching is now viewed through different glasses. I think that the profession wants to test and quantify, to think of things as actions to check off and verify, but the rubric doesn't score what the rubric cannot see. A hidden, special something makes the evals disagree. I've always been aware of the existence of a feeling that makes some teachers magical, inspiring, and appealing. This it factor of sorts cannot be learned from a book. Sometimes it's wit and humor, or a reassuring look. Sometimes it's being flexible when no one else will budge. Sometimes it's holding ground when students need a steady judge. And sometimes it is age, gender, background, race, or creed that helps establish bonds that a certain student needs. So what is the persona I've crafted and presented? Is this really me or a character I've invented? If I'm always intentional, does it make me less authentic? Is a teacher's persona something more, or is it propped up by aesthetic? When my students face struggles, I try to be understanding. I push all my students, but I'm not too demanding. I show them I care through dedication and through prep, but if the plan takes a turn, I'm not afraid to sidestep. I'm quick to respond with a line or a joke. I try hard to be with it, or as the kids say, woke. When I teach, I perform to make our lessons exciting, but does that improve their learning or just give it nicer lighting? The person that we are is how our students find their space. They see the way we act and they analyze our face. This also shapes instruction and the style we present. That's more to our curriculum than worksheets and content. In a world in a school where content is king, I think we should reflect on the persona we bring. How do we make visible these aspects from within? And how can we define ourselves from the moment we begin? And how do we respect that there are other ways as well, that there are as or more effective, that are as or more effective to help students to excel? And probably most essential, how can we quantify the hidden so the evals are holistic and the rubrics are rewritten. There are not many, there may not be any answers, but I think that's all right. My goal here is reflection and perhaps to cast a light. 
We all provide our something and we all deserve our feature because we live our lives in the persona of a teacher. Thanks everyone and I look forward to seeing you in Canvas.
is if you or another teacher are using the gradual release model or the I do, we do, you do model of instruction or the model practice reflect cycle. Through these models of instruction, students are taught when, how, and why strategies can be used. The teacher defines the target strategy, demonstrates its use through modeling, asks students to give examples of their own learning experience, guides the group or class discussion on the rationale behind the use and effectiveness of the strategy, and encourages students to use different strategies or to adapt the strategy for their own needs. Typically, the strategies don't have to be specific to ELA, but can be used in multiple contexts. And explicit decoding strategies are different from explicit comprehension or listening comprehension strategies. Though the same style of teacher guidance and modeling, i.e. teacher as instructional leader, can be used in all three types of instruction. All right, so we've explored some topics related to the value of read alouds for enjoyment. And I hope while you're reading basically any of our books this session, but especially your chapter books, that you'll analyze them as tools to teach ELA content, but also as tools to help young people fall in love with reading. Is the story compelling, interesting, exciting? Can or will your students relate to the characters and in what ways? Do you see space in your daily routine to build in some time for reading for pleasure? And then we've also talked about listening comprehension, which is one of those essential skills that often gets overlooked, but that is truly necessary for young people to develop the full range of abilities needed to be academically successful. This week, we're gonna develop a mini playlist for our novel's protagonist or antagonist, if you choose. Um, and then we'll also be spending some time looking at some ways to develop end of unit reflection practices to follow up on a hypothetical reader's theater um, for, your, for the novel that you've chosen. And hopefully this will be explained better in the assignment. Thanks everyone, and I hope that you all have a wonderful week ahead and I look forward to seeing you in Canvas.